I'm glad you're here today. I don't know if I said that already, but I'm, I'm just really excited that people came to church today. And it wasn't just me and my family. Aren't you glad to? <laughs> well, this morning we're starting our new series entitled Jesus Is. And the reason we're doing this, this series for the next eight weeks is because we really want to nail down who Jesus is. And, and the reason is, is because I believe a lot of us know Jesus by what other people have said about him. We know Jesus by hearsay, right? We know what other people have said. You may listen to uh, TV evangelists and they might tell you who Jesus is. And, and you may have read your Bible and you might know who Jesus is. Or you might have been a part of another religion who told you who Jesus was. Or who Jesus is. But we want to really nail down who Jesus is. We want to break the, maybe just the inaccuracies and, and, the, and the maybe incorrect thinking. And we really just want to set things straight for the next eight weeks. Can we do that? Yeah. Good, we were going to do it anyway. So today we're going to talk about Jesus is my best friend. Say, Jesus is my best friend. Now, some of you people who text a lot, maybe Facebook and Twitter and all that, so you might say, Jesus is my BFF. I don't know. To me, that's kind of a girly thing. So that was for you ladies. Jesus is my, men don't go around saying you're my BFF. Because the other man will probably go, what you call me? And then you're rolling on the ground and somebody got a tooth loose, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2 from the message translation says this, says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, this is Paul speaking, he said, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophies. He said, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. Then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. Paul speaking to the church of Corinthians and he said, look, I didn't come to you. With my, I didn't give you my best speeches. Paul was a very eloquent speaker, but he didn't come and, and, and try to impress them with the way he spoke or the way that he taught and try to do all these things that would wow people and bring attention to himself. He said, I come to you very plainly and very simply, and I want you to understand, first of all, who Jesus is. You see, it's got to be important because if Paul went to the church at Corinthian at Corinth and told them that at first of all, I want you to know who Jesus is. And then we're going to talk about what Jesus did. Maybe it's important to know who Jesus is. Maybe we can relate to Jesus better when we have a better understanding of who he is. Right. You know how it is in a relationship. You meet a new friend. You start to spend some time together. You get to know who they are. You kind of get to know how they are. You may, you may even get to the point where you, go, where you go to nicknames, right? I've got a few nicknames for some of my friends. I'm not going to embarrass them today. But a nickname usually represents kind of what the person may look like or kind of some, maybe some of their ways or maybe kind of how they act. And some of them are goofy and some of them are, are funny. I remember being in college and it was, I was trying to discover all these new things because my mama raised me and she kept a very tight rein on me and protected me from everything. So when I got to college, I went buck wild. I mean, my mom thought she was doing a good job. All she did was pull the, pull the rubber band back on me. And when I got to college, I was like, ah! I wanted to try everything, do everything. I was asking every question I could. And I, I was goofy because my friends had lived in the world their whole life and they knew all these things. I'm going, man, what's that? How you drink that? How you do? And so I, I was kind of goofy and they would pick on me. So they gave me the nickname Woody. You remember Woody from Cheers? 
Hey, that's kind of what that's, that was their image of me was Woody. And see, I'll let you in on something a little personal. But I had a nickname and it kind of described where I was in that life. But I, I, I'm not Woody anymore. Woody died. He gone. Right. Jesus was given a name as well. In Matthew 1 21, it says that she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Everybody should know Jesus as Jesus, right? If you're Hispanic or if you, if you know some Hispanics, especially the Mexicans, you might know a couple other Jesuses, right? It's usually pronounced in Spanish like Jesus, right, Paula? She's my Spanish translator. Yeah, okay, see? I used to work with a guy, or he actually worked for us for about five years. His name was Jesus, and he was an older guy. And so anytime somebody would call him and say, hey, what you doing? I said, I'm hanging out with Jesus. Man, you've been all right. Oh, brother, I'm with Jesus. And let me tell you something. Just as great as Jesus is, Jesus was with concrete. I mean, that brother pour some concrete. I've always wanted to be with Jesus when we were pouring concrete. But you may know people named Jesus. And listen, I don't ever want to carry that name. Not for myself. I don't want people calling me, hey, Jesus. <laughs> that ain't right. That's just me personally, you know. But watch what Matthew 123 says, two verses later. The virgin will, will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let me, let me let you know something. People got real excited when they heard the name Emmanuel. Because Emmanuel means that God is with us. Right? If you ball everything down in your heart and you get, you get down to your one deepest desire... Your one deepest desire in your heart is that God would be with you. I promise you, ball it all down, ball all the trash away, let all the stuff float out. And you, 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 net, you ball it down to one thing. It said, we have this desire for God to be with us. So when people heard that Jesus's name was also Emmanuel, they got excited because that meant that God was with them. I want you to step back with me into to Jesus's day when Jesus was there and he was getting named. I want you to just kind of put yourself in that place. Put a robe on, some sandals. Okay, you can let your beard grow. Okay, you don't have to bathe every day. Uh, whatever. I don't know why that came out. but Just kind of put yourself there. So, so this baby comes and he's born and he's given this name Jesus and also Emmanuel, which means that God is with us. Now think about this. Jesus' first 30 years of life was spent as normal as yours and mine. We'll get into this in a minute, but Jesus had siblings. He had brothers and sisters. I would imagine he got tied to a rock somewhere as a prank, right? I would imagine he fell and scuffed his knee or hurt his elbow or something a few times and he cried. I would imagine him and his brothers probably got in a few fist fights when mama wasn't looking. Seriously. Think about that. From one day old to 30, Jesus lived just like you and I. He didn't perform his first miracle until he was 30 years old. Never thought of it that way, did you? Jesus would eat. In the morning and at lunch and at 
dinner, if that's what they did, he would go to sleep, he would wash his feet, he would do other things like we do. I mean, it was, there was nothing different about Jesus than anybody else around them. Let that soak in for a minute. Because you got to understand that Jesus is your friend. He's your best friend. Amen? John 1, 4 says this. says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus was, he, he's the word of God that became flesh. Jesus is God with skin on him. You'll remember that. Jesus is God with skin on him. Wow. That, that, that does something to my thinking. It, it kind of goes, whoa, how you know, God with skin on him. I kind of go, wow, that's different. First I go, okay, God's skin. That's, but then I go, that's really, that's really something. Jesus was a carpenter. He lived an average everyday life like the rest of us. And I hate to say that we're about Jesus and average, but it's the truth. I'll prove it to you in a little while. While he seemed so normal to everybody around him. Hebrews 2, 17 to 18 from the message translation says that that's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain, all the testing and would be able to help where help was needed. Wow. Listen to me. Jesus might have gotten beat up a couple times. He probably had a bloody nose. He probably got told something he didn't want to hear. Are you with me? He had siblings. He had a mother. He had a, his, his earthly father. He had all those things that you had. He, he, he experienced all the pain that you experienced. Rejection. People talking about him. The struggle of what people think about me. You know, I don't have a souped up camel like my buddies do. Man, I wish I could just get that new version of camel. You know, that 2013 camel, man. That sucker runs. God. Jesus faced the same temptations we face. I'm sure there were some pretty girls in the village. Come on. You seeing something a little different this morning? You know, it's not like God just sent Jesus down onto this earth and said, go down there and give all them people some rules and regulations to live by. And then when it's all said and done, I'll go ahead and just kill you off and bring you up. It's not a soap opera. It's not a TV show. He doesn't get killed off on the end and becomes the hero. Right. God sent Jesus. I mean, if that was the case, he could he could have just sent him down here at 30 something years old and he could have just started his ministry. Right. That wouldn't be any more weird than anything else that happened in his life. Right. Once he started his ministry. But God sent him down here as a baby. To experience somebody else cleaning his bottom. Are you hearing me? 
He experienced it. Think about that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm not going to go all the way, but, you know, he just he experienced every one of those years to the age of 30. Now, you remember what it's like to be 30, right? Some of us still do. Right. When you're 30, you really start realizing a lot of things. Hopefully. Number one, you, you don't look as good as you think you did. Right. When you hit 30, you start realizing, you know what? I ain't the, the hunk I used to think that I was. You get a lot of revelation around 30, right? (laughs) Jesus experienced everything that you've experienced. Say that with me. Say, Jesus Jesus. has experienced experienced everything everything that I have and will Experience. Experience. You know what that you know what that says to me? That says is that there's not anything that will ever happen to me or that has happened to me that he cannot relate with. Man, that takes the that takes the crybaby out of the situation. Right? That that takes the me getting mad at him out of the situation. You don't understand. You know, you didn't live in 2013. You don't know what happened. How'd you let this happen to me? Right? It kind of just takes all that away. And you go, like a best friend. Hey, Jesus. Man, this hurts, huh? Why does this happen? Why'd my parents do this to me? Why'd my friends do this? Why'd my boss do this? Why am I struggling in my finances? Man, Jesus, you know what I mean? help me understand. It's like having a best friend. Are you hearing me? It's someone you can go to who understands. Right? Who's experienced what you've experienced. And I know some of you are thinking right now, no, he hasn't experienced everything. Yes, he has. He most certainly has. Let me give you three things that Jesus understands. Number one, he understands relationships. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says, some of the people were talking about Jesus. They said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? You see, that's proof that Jesus had a family. All them boys and them girls. People saw Jesus come in and preach and teach and do these things. And they said, well, isn't this the carpenter? You see, they had a hard time wrapping their mind around Jesus being the Messiah. Why? Because they knew him as Jesus, the carpenter. The guy down the street, they knew him as brother. Right? Right? They couldn't wrap their mind around that this is the Messiah because he grew up with us. This is just some old boy on the street. How was there? That's what they were asking. Isn't this the guy in this? Isn't this Mary's boy? You know, the, the little boy, he was kind of bashful and his brothers always picked on or whatever. Isn't this him? Mark 3.21 says this, says when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind. Wow. 
Even his family, his own family, couldn't wrap their head around the idea that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. They couldn't wrap their mind around it because he was so normal. It freaked people out. So, so, Pastor, why are you saying all this? Because I want you to understand that Jesus understands relationships. He does. He understands relationships. He's, he knows what it's like to be single. He knows what it's like to be married. We're the bride. He's the, he's the groom. Are you with me? He knows what it's like to be hurt by somebody. He knows what it's like to be taken advantage of. He understands relationships. He also knows what it's like to mend relationships. That's why he can redeem relationships and restore marriages and restore relationships like he does so well. It's because he's been there, he's done that, and he knows how to do it. He understands relationships. Number two, he understands life. He spent 18 years as a carpenter. Six times more years than he did as a, as a minister of the gospel or as the Messiah or as Jesus Christ, as we know him from the Bible. 18 years he spent as a carpenter. He understands life. He had to pay taxes. I wonder if he liked that. I think I might ask that. Put that down on my questions to ask. I wonder if he liked that. Jesus was not a soft pansy man that had to walk around with a pistol on his side. Jesus was a man's man. He had calluses on his hands. He was a carpenter. My, my son right now has spent a, a couple of Saturdays with Mr. Wayne Stelly doing carpentry work. And, and, and Wayne's just, he's incredible at taking these young kids and just, just he gets them involved. I mean, I'll, I'll come in there sometimes. Ethan's got a screw going crooked. Hey, boy, you got that screw cooking. You need to start putting them straight. And he's like, okay, Mr. Wayne. <laughs> And so Ethan, until this week, knew Mr. Wayne as a carpenter. And he looks at Wayne as a, as a man's man. He's got calluses on his hands. And it wasn't until I told him where Mr. Wayne works that he went, what the hell? I thought he was a carpenter. <laughs> Son, he is a carpenter, but he used to do that by trade. But now he's a, he's a gas man, and he, he takes care of all these other things. I had to just break it down for him, simple. You know, but Jesus had a job. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not... Have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Get that last part. He was tempted in every way that you are, have been, and will ever be tempted, and he overcame it without sin. Let hope arise. Let hope arise. You can overcome. Come on. You have a Messiah. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. He's an advocate for us. He's praying and he's talking to God on our behalf. You're an overcomer. You don't have to fall into that temptation anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. You can't stop. Hear me. You can't stop. You don't have to gossip anymore. You don't have to say something negative. You don't have to talk bad about people. You can say something good. You can say something positive and something life-giving. Come on. 
You don't have to bow down to that thing anymore. Why? Because you have an advocate. You got a friend. That sticks closer than a brother. And he's been there. I said something to somebody this week. I said, man, you know, I I couldn't imagine trying to do life without the people that God's placed around me. Without my friends. My spiritual friends. You know what I'm saying? My spiritual family. I, I can't imagine trying to live life without you. Every one of you in here. Number one, I'd become weird. Right? Because I wouldn't have anybody say, man, that's stupid. Like, we all need people to just say sometimes, man, that's stupid. Right? And we just need to go, well, maybe it is stupid. Instead of getting mad at them. But I can't imagine trying to do life by myself. I can't imagine life without a spiritual family. So let me ask you a question. Why do I sometimes feel like I'm trying to do life without Jesus? Why do we sometimes try to do life without Jesus? We think, you know, we, we punch the clock with Jesus. We go, hey, it's Jesus time. Right? Jesus time from 10 to, to 1130 if Pastor Jamie's short. That's Jesus time. Outside of that, baby, we done. We do our own thing. Sometimes we look at our relationship with Jesus as we look at tithes and offerings. So I'll give 10% of my life to Jesus. Oh. <laughs> and that was good. <laughs> when Jesus never asked for you to be a tithe, <laughs> he asks for all of you. Come on. He don't want your leftovers. He don't want your extra. He don't want you after you done gave your life to something else. Are you hearing me? He wants you from the start. When you get up in the morning, hey, good morning, Jesus. What's going on? Right? We're going to learn in a minute. Your prayer time is not an event. It's a relationship. We need to stop making Jesus and God an event in our life. and We need to start making it a relationship. Now, that's good. So Jesus understands relationships. Jesus understands life and he understands pain. You know, sometimes the hardest pain is not physical pain. Sometimes we beg for physical pain just to get rid of the emotional pain. Right? If you've had anything go on in your life that emotionally, you know that emotional pain will kill you faster than physical pain. Right? Because we, we experience physical pain. We know it's going to stop hurting sooner or later. I tell my kids all the time, it's going to go away before you get married. I'm going to stop saying that in a few years, but I mean, you know, it's. And now they go, they'll say, oh, cut my finger. I know it's going to go away before I get married. It still hurts right now. I'm waiting for that response to come. I can see it. But physical pain will end. Sometimes emotional pain never ends. Right? Some of you in this room are carrying some emotional pain from a long time ago. Let's just get real this morning. Somebody hurt you a long time ago and you're still carrying that pain with you. 
Like you got a chain and a big old stone hooked to the chain and you're walking around with this pain. Right? And you think, there's no hope. This is my life. You might even use that verse like Paul. I'm like Paul. This is my thorn. Wrong. Wrong. Your emotional pain is not your thorn in your side. It's not something that you were meant to carry the rest of your life. It's something you were meant to put on the cross and crucify. And put it to death and say, you know what? It's done. I'm not living out of my past anymore. I'm not living out of what people done to me in the past. I'm not going to make my decisions for the future based on what happened in the past. Amen. I'm going to make my decisions in the future based on what God's going to do inside of me and the hope that I have. That comes from him. We're going to go forward. We're going to cut the chain. We're going to cut that thing off. Say, you know what? I'm done with that. Forget you, devil. Sometimes you're going to look at yourself in the mirror and say, forget you, Jamie. Jesus understands pain. Man, we want to make a trophy out of our pain, don't we? We want to make our pain the worst pain known to mankind. Right? When we're suffering with something, we're going through something, it is the worst. And we want a trophy. Right? We want everybody to say, oh, God, I can't believe you. You're carrying the worst pain in the whole world. Oh, man. That's what we want, right? Because we, we think in our minds that if this is the worst. Nobody has experienced this like me. Yep. Go to South Africa. Go to the townships and see the people living in tin buildings with dirt floors. And come back and be disgruntled. Kids that are being molested at a young age and have no say so. Right? But ours is the worst. And we want everybody to feel sorry for us. And, it, we, and this is what happens is we let the enemy build it so big in our minds that we start thinking Jesus can't deal with my pain. It's too big for God to deal with now. You may be older and still hanging on to that thing and saying, you know what? It's just too late. I'm just going to take this thing to the cross. I'm going to take it when I go to heaven and God will get rid of it then. Bull. And you can put the blank at the end. He wants to deal with it now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It's not that you got to warm somebody up and get them going for a couple weeks. And, and then, boy, you play their, toot their horn and blow their instruments. And then hopefully one day they make it a good noise and get saved. It's not about that. It's about today. You got something in your life that needs to die. It dies today. Amen. You don't carry this no more. You're struggling in your marriage. Whatever you're struggling with that you're carrying, you kill it today. Jesus understands pain. Isaiah 53, 3 says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He's familiar with suffering. 53, 5 says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought, brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. 
You don't just get healed from cancer or, or uh, a heart disease or, or something like a sickness. You don't just get healed from that. You get healed from your past. You get healed from yourself. Amen? He suffered so that we could be healed. Wow. I'm talking about your best friend. Man, your best friend's been through some stuff. Rejected by men. Some of his closest companions. Peter said, I don't know this man. I don't know him. Judas turned around and sold him. A lot of his other close friends, they took off running and hiding when Jesus was arrested. He was left with nobody. Think about that. And if somebody doesn't talk to you or say hi when you come to church, you get offended. (laughs) Really? (laughs) You're mad at me because I didn't say hi? (laughs) Let me me give you something to be mad at. (laughs) Get this. In all of history, Jesus was put on the planet when capital punishment was at its worst. Think about that. A crown of thorns stabbed into his head. Beaten as bad as he was beaten. Man, if the police did that today, you know what happened to him. They would be the ones going to prison and the prisoner would be set free. Right? Seriously. Jesus was born at the worst time. He came when, when I guess maybe God was part of his plan, but he knew Jesus would get beaten worse than he ever would have been. If he'd been born today, I don't know what he'd get. But he wouldn't, got, he wouldn't get what he got then. I got that right? Okay, thank you. My wife was orchestrating. She was going, get, got, go, get. Yeah. So Jesus qualifies to be your best friend. He identifies with everything that you go through. He's the perfect candidate to be your best friend. Amen? Let me give you our response. Number one. Make Jesus your best friend. Listen to me. There's, there's nothing makes me more sick than a religious devil on somebody. It's, it's a religious thing where they believe that Jesus is this event. It's got to be this. It's got to be that way. They're fake. You know what I'm saying? I, I can't stand that. I just, I just want to make Jesus my friend. Amen? I don't want to make him untouchable and unreachable. And I'm sorry to say, but some churches preach that, right? They make Jesus where you go, man, I can never, ever, ever lowly me. I can never be friends with Jesus. That's the way I was raised. Jesus was this figure that you just knew was there and you would acknowledge him every once in a while. And that's how I saw him. But our response should be, you know what? I'm making Jesus my best friend. So how do I treat my best friend? Like you treat your best friend. (laughs) When you need to throw up on somebody, you throw up on him. Some of your spouses are going, it's about time. Man, she needed somebody else to throw up on. I'm joking. About time she got somebody else to use them words up on. (laughs) That might be a good little marriage tip. 
Women need to speak to Jesus more than men do, so that way men don't use all their words, but women can use most of their words, and then, anyway, keep going. <laughs> all the men was like, preach, preacher, preach! <laughs> Make Jesus our best friend. It's simple. Change the way you see him. I hope that's happening right now, is that we're changing the way we see him. He's not an unreachable figure from the Bible that you pray to. Right? Come on. If you were that religion at any time in your life, you knew you prayed to Saint so-and-so, you prayed to Saint so-and-so for this, you prayed to Saint so-and-so for that, right? We bought a house in Jennings. We had a saint buried in the backyard. It was the saint to help you sell your house. And I liked the house so much, I didn't want to sell it, so I went digging for it. I couldn't find it. I'm serious. I was in the backyard. Where's that saint at? Getting that sucker out of my yard. You laughing? Ask my wife. She's, the lady told me it was in the flower bed. I tore the flower bed. I'm like, that sucker's gone. Because she was like, if you pray to him when you want to sell your house, you'll sell your house. I ain't praying to nobody. I don't need some saint to sell my house. I'm crazy, ain't I? Y'all need to come just watch me at the house sometimes. But I just I say this. If you start making money off my videos, I need a kickback. All right. Make Jesus your best friend. John fifteen fifteen says that I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Listen to that. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. A servant just goes, okay. Okay. Yes, a boss. Right? Yes, a boss. And a servant has a mentality that this, this owner, this boss is so high and mighty, he can't relate to him. He can't tell him what he's feeling. He can't tell him if he's hurting or if he's sick that day and he can't go to work. Right? A slave or a servant just is a yes, a boss. Yes, a boss. You ever seen that movie Green Mile with the big old guy? Yes, a boss. Some of us look like that. Yes, a boss. And that's how we treat Jesus. Yes, boss. And the whole time he's saying to you, stop acting like a servant. Because I don't see you as a servant Because a servant doesn't know my business. And I want to tell you my business. Right? I want you to know my business. Jesus isn't trying to hide anything from you, I promise. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He's trying to reveal more to you. But just like I said about tithes and offerings, there's only so much that he can trust you with. Come on. Can he trust you to feel more pain that the people around you are feeling? Can he trust you to feel what he's feeling? Come on. The rest of that verse says this. It says, instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, everything I have made known to you. 
Jesus isn't like your sibling or your older brother, your sister, who when they heard the information from mom and dad, maybe they heard mom and dad uh, talking one day and y'all were going to Disneyland and they had the goods and come running back to you and say, hey, we're going on vacation. I know where we're going, but I'm not telling you. (laughs) My kids are super inquisitive. If we even mention somebody's name, the first words come out. Are they coming over? Are we going over there? Like, like as soon as service is over with, Ethan's going to run up. Daddy, we going to eat lunch with somebody? <laughs> and I know what, he's trying to get the information so he can go to his two sisters and say, hey, hey, we're going to eat lunch with somebody. I know who, but you don't. And if you want to know, it's going to cost you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but that's not how Jesus is. Are you hearing me? Jesus said that everything I got from the Father, I have given to you. I'm not withholding anything from you. You got to get this. I'm not holding anything back. It's just that sometimes you can't receive anymore. Because he's not going to waste it. Our second response should be that we just talk to him. (laughs) Just talk to him. Any of my guys that I spend time with and I start to disciple, a lot of times I set them up and we go eat lunch somewhere or we're eating something and we're doing something. I say, hey, you pray. Dwight can tell you. Doug can tell you. When we first came here, we'd go eat lunch. I prayed the first few times, bless the food. I said, your turn. Deer in the headlight. You know why I did that? I want to see how they pray. I'm serious. I wanted to see how they prayed. I could because I knew through how they prayed, how they related to Jesus. Come on. I never once said nothing. I never smirked. I never said nothing to him. I said, good job, man of God. And let me tell you something. It's changed. The more time I've spent with them, the better, the closer we become. It's not about me. I know they're growing in Christ. The closer they get to Jesus, the more their prayer changes. And they go from praying to Jesus to talking to Jesus. Or let me say it like this, talking with Jesus. You know, around here, we all have a special place. I've been to a lot of your houses and you all have a special place that you go and drink coffee with your wife or your husband or your friends. And you have this little spot that you go and that's where you sit down. And what do you do? You talk. Right. We all got our spot. I remember Wayne came to my house the first time. He goes, this spot right here. He walked down the back porch and went, oh, yeah, this right here. You can see the woods, the squirrels. He said, you sit down right here and you drink your coffee. That's where we drank coffee this morning. Our morning was me and Cheryl walked, we got outside and we drank coffee. And we're sitting down. The dog, we're trying to keep the, the lab's hair off of us because she's <laughs> doing all this. The hair is going over. He's like, get off my coffee. And the kids were still sleeping. Ethan wasn't up yet. And all of a sudden, one by one, the kids wake up. And before you know it, me and Cheryl had a great conversation. We had a great morning. We just talked. Just caught up on things. Sometimes you just got to do that, right? And then the kids come out. She goes, oh, you didn't clip them toenails. Go get me the clippers. And she's out there. And we're talking. She's clipping toenails. And I mean, it's just, it was a great time. Okay? And I'm not trying to embarrass my kids. But I'm trying to say that that needs to be our, our way of talking with Jesus. Right? We shouldn't just have this box that we call prayer time and that's where we sit in. Yeah. 
I believe you need to have specific things that you're praying for and specific things that you're calling out to God for. And you need to you need to have some kind of organization to that. But honestly, you shouldn't have an on and off switch with your prayer life. Right. Mark Manuel called me this week. His best prayer times when he's cutting grass. I'm like, brother, you praying from April to October, bro. That grass is steady growing. That brother praying. Y'all need something? Talk to Mark. He's cutting grass. But he shoots me, man, I was praying this morning on the lawnmower, and I said, the Lord said this. And I'm like, man, I'm going to have to try that. So I get on my lawn, my Lord, I just, you know, oh, I missed the spot. And I get distracted. So for me, I got to be like nothing. <laughs> but your prayer life can be anytime, anywhere, any place. Amen. It's a relationship. Come on. He is your friend. Friends are only found in relationships. Amen. So stop making it so religious and making it so ordained that it's not real. Talk to him. Just talk to him. And this is for you kids that are in here. They'll probably get it quicker than we will. Just talk to him. I wouldn't try to text him, but I mean, I would talk to him. I don't think you're going to get anywhere. <laughs> Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How do you go to the throne of grace with confidence? How do you go there? How do you approach the throne where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. How do you approach that with confidence? How? When you know who you're approaching. That's how you do it. It's like going to work for a new company and you got the boss man, right? And everybody kind of tiptoes around the boss man. Right? But then maybe you get a chance to go out on the job with the boss man and he actually talks to you and you get to have a conversation with the boss man. The next time you go to the boss man, you're going to be a little more at ease, right? A little more confident, right? Because you know the boss man talks back, right? And so then as you go and you start to talk to him a little bit more, what you get more confidence. And then what usually happens? You go in and say, hey, boss, I need a raise. It goes from, oh, I could show you some more money, boss. Things is tight at the house. You think you could spare a few more of them pennies for me? It goes from that. Hey, man. I need some money. Jesus, I need, I need a break. I need some sleep. Jesus, I, 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 need, I need healing. I need some relief. Jesus, heal my back. Maybe we start saying that before we run to the chiropractor. Maybe it'll it'll work. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Just just a little shift in your thinking. It's a little change. He's relatable. He's touchable. He's reachable. He understands. Number three, 
Trust him with your life. Trust him with your life. And stop trusting yourself. Come on. Trust him with your life. You know how you know you trust Jesus with your life? It's when you start praying about things before you jump into them. You know, you know what it looks like? It looks like, hey, Jesus, thinking about taking this new job. What do you think? Hey, Jesus, I'm thinking about buying a new truck. Yes, it's a Ford. Okay, okay. Hey, Jesus, I sure could use a big bowl of bluebell. I know you, that was a yes, that wasn't a no. Trust him with your life. Amen? Not just the big decisions. Jesus is bigger than your big decisions. He's big enough to be involved in your small decisions. Amen? He's big enough to be in the littlest things. That's why he still answers their prayers. And his prayer is because Jesus is that big. He can still get to him and answer his prayers. He ain't got no cares in the world. The only thing he cares about is the turtle's going to finish laying the eggs in the front yard when we left this morning. That's probably the biggest thing on his mind. But if he's praying for that stupid little turtle, Jesus is probably doing something to the turtle. That's how big he is. Amen? Amen. He's praying that the, the owl stays away and doesn't eat the eggs or whatever. John 1.12 says this, it says, But to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. All they needed to do was to trust him to save them. Psalms 37.5 says, Commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him, and he will help you. Can we do that today? Can we change the way we see Jesus today? Like now? Can we start putting in the practice what we learned today, not just through what I said, but what the Holy Spirit spoke to you this morning? Can we just take step one and just talk to him differently? Can you stand up with me this morning? For those of you that are struggling with with the idea that Jesus would want to be your best friend, I just want to show you something from Scripture. You know, he made all the religious people mad when he went to Matthew's house, the tax collector, and sat down with all of his best friends, the other tax collectors and hoodlums or whoever it was. Jesus was constantly getting in trouble, getting in trouble for hanging out with people he wasn't supposed to hang out with. So for, if you're here this morning, you're struggling saying, you know what, Jesus, Jesus wouldn't want to. He, he just, I can't be Jesus' best friend. I've done too many bad things in my life. Let me say to you, you're the perfect candidate and he's the perfect candidate to be a best friend. You haven't done anything that would cause him to love you less. 
He wants to be your best friend. And he wants to mature in in y'all's relationship. Amen. He's a friend of sinners. Father, we thank you thank you for being here today thank you for coming to church with us thank you for being so real so touchable so relatable thank you that our relationship is not based off of our good deeds thank you for your word Lord where it says that Jesus was normal. He grew up like we grew up. Thank you for showing us that today. Father, help us to be real. Help us to go from servants to friends. From servants to sons and daughters. Best friends. You've given us the right to become children of God. Lord, help us to take that right. Lord, I pray as a church, we'll be able to come to your throne room of grace with confidence. Knowing that you're for us and not against us. Knowing that no matter what we've done wrong, you still love us. Knowing that how much we've failed is not going to determine how much you relate to us. But Lord, knowing that your heart is for us and that you love us and that your desire is to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you that you want to be with us. Thank you, Lord. We're not worthy. We'll never be worthy for you to be with us. But you don't count it as whether or not we're worthy. You just want to be close to us. Lord, help us to shift our thinking and to see you differently, Jesus. You know our pain, you know our temptation, you know our joy, you know our sufferings. You know what it's like to cry, you know what it's like to laugh, you know what it's like to get mad. Help us, Lord. 